Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's episode is sponsored by ESTET. ESTET Managed Services lowers client e-discovery spend, improving security and control over data. ESTET makes your practice more powerful and profitable. See more at e-stet.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest manages his firm's business, financial, technology, marketing, and administrative operations, focusing on growth strategy, differentiation, and execution in a competitive law firm world. He's worked with over 50 different general counsels during his career across several industries, many while running a legal operations consulting business. The COO of Goodwin, Michael Kaplan, welcome to Left Foot. Thank you, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you very much for having me. Great to have you as a guest in our program, Mike. Let's jump right into the questions. Our listeners tune in to hear our guests' experiences with business development, client retention, and client expansion. What are you seeing in these areas today that you never thought you would see five years ago, 10 years ago? Sure. I mean, that, that's a great question. And I think that law firms today are very focused on business development because it's becoming more competitive, but also because we're seeing lots of our clients focus on having preferred panels of law firms. And when they have these preferred panels, they start to specialize in law firms for key areas. So business development is key. The thing that I, I'm seeing today, which is very different from where it was even two or three years ago, is we have to really differentiate as a law firm in the entire business development process. And business development involves more than just lawyers. So what Goodwin is very focused on is we're very focused on providing that differentiation by having both the business of law and the practice of law. And I'm sure as we go through this conversation today, I'll be referring to both the business and practice of law at many times. So for example, my role as chief operating officer at Goodwin, I manage all of the non-lawyers of the firm. The way Goodwin is organized is we have 1,000 lawyers, 10 offices globally, and we have over 400 professional staff. And I manage the professional staff. But with my background coming from the corporate legal department side, where I was the COO for two large corporate legal departments before joining the law firm, I understand the client perspective. So what I bring to the table is I bring a different way of thinking about selling legal services. And what we've really focused on at Goodwin is how can we take the business of law and make that part of our business development process? So for example, uh, I spend a lot of time going on pitches with our lawyers to talk about pricing, to talk about legal technology. I help our, I help our clients think about legal technology, such as e-billing and matter management. We have our knowledge management and library services people focus on helping clients establish their knowledge management and library services. We've developed a program management office for IT projects, and we help our clients build their own program management offices where we provide them with templates and subject matter expertise. We do lots of these examples. Uh, in addition, we have tons of tech clients. We're a big tech company in terms of providing outside counsel advisory services. So we utilize our infrastructure and our IT team to test our clients' products and services. We don't necessarily buy all of their products and services, but they can use our infrastructure and our people to find different ways to test their products and services before or during when they're taking them to market. And what this does is it enables the business of law to differentiate from the normal business development practice of just selling the practice of law. And clients love it. And they love talking to folks like me and folks on my team. 
and our partners are really understanding the need and the value of it because you know what it does is it makes us stay in sight, in mind with our clients. And it also gives us opportunities to get out in the marketplace to talk about it. And clients will be coming to us proactively to have these types of conversations. So it's very different where if you go back five years ago, it was purely partners of law firms talking to clients about legal services. Uh, today, it's you have to figure out the different mix. This is a people business. It's a business of human capital. It's a business of selling. It's a business uh, that how can we differentiate? Because the same way we have the business of law on the law firm side, our clients, whether they're public or private companies, have chief operating officers, chief administrative officers, chief financial officers, CIOs, et cetera, also focusing on the business of law. So why not make that our strategy as well? And law firms that are picking this up and doing this proactively, they're able to get an advantage. They can get a foot in because it's okay that Mike Kaplan, the COO of Goodwin, has a relationship with the head of litigation on a client because I'm helping them differently. What I'm also doing is I'm having him continually think about Goodwin in different ways. So when the legal opportunity comes up for the practice of law, we get the call. And that's how you have to think about it. Mike, how many other people within the firm can go out and have command of this difference like you can? It is a very different approach. 10 people on your team that can have that conversation, or are you actually seeing your firm partners pushing that conversation about the business of law? So I'll answer the second part of your question first. I I am absolutely seeing the partners push the business of law conversation. And there's a reason why. The culture of most law firms, especially the AMLAW 50, AMLAW 100 law firms, it's a very contagious business when they see success. So when I first got here and I, I pitched and proposed this type of business development process to the partners of Goodwin, there were certain partners that received it well. There are other partners that felt that they didn't need it. But then when I started to utilize the network that I've built from my consulting days and the GCs and COOs that I know in the business to help us get meetings, to help us drive new business, to introduce our lawyers and our partners to help hand off some of those relationships, and then it led to work. We marketed that really well internally, and partners started to latch onto it, especially partners whose practices were slowing down somewhat. So it is a process. It is, it is a staged approach. But we have found now three years into my tenure as chief operating officer of this firm, most partners know about it. Most partners utilize it to some extent. And there are lots of partners that utilize it all the time. Now, the first part of your question, that's also been a process. So at first, it was just me, where I would go and speak about the client perspective. I have a business development sales background. I ran my own consulting business. I've been on the corporate side. So I could establish credibility fairly quickly with people uh, within the corporate legal departments about the things that I have expertise in. But what I've done is I've, I've really marketed the business of law to the professional staff at Goodwin. So our CFO, our CIO, our head of data privacy and cybersecurity, our head of knowledge management, our chief marketing officer, our heads of practice management, depending on how we pitch the business and what the client's looking for, we bring different people into the fold. So I would say I'm still probably doing about 75% of it on the pricing and operational side, but I would say we probably have about 15 people now that are included, whether it's helping clients talk about data privacy and cybersecurity, talking about our program management office, testing products and services within our infrastructure, talking about artificial intelligence, which I'm sure we'll spend more time on on the innovation side. And then also really, how can we 
do pricing and project management differently. And what we've done is we've really given people a role in the professional staff at Goodwin to have these conversations. And Nicole, you know what the best part about this is? It's giving people in the professional staff a whole different play in their career within a big law firm. It's not as administrative as it used to be. It's we're all tied to the revenue. We're all tied to the profits. We're all tied to the risk and investment of our clients. And that's how we pitch it internally. So people feel that their game is being elevated because we're helping drive revenue, whether it's directly or indirectly. And more and more people want to latch on to that. And it's also helping us recruit differently and bring in people that have this experience, people that come from the corporate side. So it's really helped our professional staff, you know, almost make a 180 from where we were three years ago. And that group of 10 to 15, I expect that to be 20 to 25 in in the next two years. We do interview a lot of big law partners, and we're hearing that there's a nervous sense that they're not keeping up and they're not responding to the changes that are going on in the market. It sounds like you are responding to those. And of course, that you're somewhat ahead of the curve. I saw your team at the clock conference recently, which is a huge indicator that you're ahead of the curve because you're basically saying legal operations is legal tech. This is not going away. It's only going to get more entrenched in how the in-house legal departments are wanting to to manage their business and to really work with their law firm partners. That said, I'm sure you got some pushback either on your way in or a year into your role on the programs that you were rolling out. And of course, being transparent and showing the numbers and having gain as far as new clients and prospective clients, I'm sure that was a big factor. Can you give us some indication of how often today you are differentiating yourself because of the legal tech you've implemented or the project management you've implemented? some sense of the number or even a success story or two specific to having earned business due to the fact that you've implemented strong project management, strong legal tech within the firm. Just to give you an example of my background, part of why success really took off a good one. Personally, in three years, I probably brought between 50 and 60 new client opportunities to Goodwin. Last year, the clients that I've introduced the firm to that became clients actually generated over $5 million in business. This year, that is probably going to be higher. My first year was between two and three million. And what we've done is we've built a staged approach, A, making introductions, going through this business development life cycle, having these clients try us out for a small matter or two on the litigation front or on the small transactional side, making the right pricing investments, helping them operationally and technically as we've discussed, and then building and transitioning the relationship from me, Mike Kaplan, the COO, to the partners. The difference at Goodwin that people have to understand is I understand completely that as the COO of a law firm, my clients in the job that I have today are my lawyers here internally at Goodwin. And what we've started to really focus on is we're hiring people that also have relationships outside in the industry that are true quote unquote business development or salespeople like myself from a background perspective. The change is, hey, you know what? You used to sell, whether it's legal recruiting services or legal technology or legal operations, but now your clients are internal. The best thing we can do is use our relationships and partnerships that we have in the industry and transition those or partner with those with our internal lawyers because we are not going to be the folks doing the legal advisory work. That has been very successful. And it's been successful both with our lawyers establishing and building new clients 
And it's been very successful for our lawyers partnering with people like me and people on my team because we're bringing opportunities to fold, but we're letting the lawyers after a meeting or two take over the relationship. And then they include people like me to, to review pricing, to look at their products and services, to come to meals, to have drinks, et cetera, in terms of having the original relationship. And they're very inclusive, but we must transition that to the lawyers. And that's the big part of what we're selling. I'll give you an example. Making investments in clients on pricing and really understanding alternative fee arrangements and getting our lawyers to really understand the strategic plan around pricing. It's not just about a discount. Time is arbitrary. It's not about the discount and the rate. It's about your client feeling that as a law firm, you're invested in their risk. You want to share in the reward. You want to make the commitment to them long-term. It's not just about the individual matter that you're working on. And to get partners of big law firms to really understand that takes a little bit of time. But once they get it and they start to speak the language of the client, the client builds trust. I'll give you an example. We had a client that I brought to the firm. They were looking to utilize us for litigation. And they wanted us to think out of the box. And we were competing with two other firms. The two other firms offered a a 15% discount across the board, one of them, and the other one offered a tiered volume discount, 10%, 15%, 20% based on, based on how much money they were ultimately spending. But it was still based on time. It was still based on that arbitrary component that clients get focused on, and as law firms, we budget and build our business around. So what we did a good one was we broke it into phases, and we capped our fees, and the first few phases had milestones. Because based on the nature of the litigation, we were looking on the patent side to have a patent filed. And we knew through the phases of the litigation, if we were able to get this patent filed and we were able to win based on whether it was summary judgment, we were able to get a motion to dismiss, get the patent filed within uh, the patent filing system, we were able to help our clients succeed and have them achieve their goals. So we gave a 50% discount with a capped fee and based on milestones, we would get a success fee. And that success fee would only be 90% of our fee. So they were always getting a 10% discount, even if they achieved success. And what the client really saw from us was, hey, you know what? If we go through every phase of this litigation, and if we're sued and we can't get this patent filed or we can't get this thing dismissed, Goodwin's going to take a 50% cut. And ultimately, we're going to be able to cap their fee. And they bought into that. And that client has given us four or five specific litigation matters that we can work on now. And we're almost their counsel of choice. And it's all about getting our lawyers to understand, yes, this may not be the highest realization or the highest profitability for this specific matter. But once we begin to invest, the clients want us to be successful in the same way we want them to be successful if they feel that we're on their side. So that is a big part of how we continue to work with clients on helping with pricing and alternative fee arrangements, but doing it from a risk management perspective and doing it with both the business of law and the practice of law working together for a client's success. That's a great example because, of course, you're taking the risk 
lane instead of the value lane. Do the clients value the work you're doing for the price that you're going to charge based on an estimate? But in this case, you're saying, okay, we're willing to take some risk. Mike, my question is something comes up that wasn't outlined in the initial review of the matter. Big litigation, things come up. I'm assuming you have a communication out, meaning that there is an opportunity to communicate with the client and say, this was not on the table. What we just discovered was not on the table when this came up. Let's make an adjustment. I definitely feel, and there's there's a law firm going through a lawsuit right now because of a fixed fee engagement. Where was the communication? Where was the communication to say, hey, this is going to be so much more than we ever expected or what we intended to bill, we're not going to bill on that fixed fee because it didn't play out. If you could respond to what's the communication if something really different does come up in an engagement like that, and then what your plan is from there, or if there is a built-in adjustment change process? Look, that's a great question. And I'll answer it in a very simple way, and then I'll give you some more detail behind it. First, the whole purpose of having the business and practice of law work together and having these types of pricing arrangements with clients is to engage in conversation, is to build relationships, is to establish partnership. The reason why you want to do phased approaches in litigation, the reason why you want to have the ability to put fixed fees in place is because you want to have an ongoing dialogue and ongoing project management discussion with your client. You know, you have to understand as a law firm that the client's success is based on their risk as well as much as your risk. So you should be speaking regularly. So when we have these discussions, we have check, we have check-ins, we have maybe weekly or bi-weekly calls. We have the ability to talk about what's going on in the case. And we also have the ability to outline the scope in terms of what the matter will be about. And if scope changes, like say, for example, litigation, a deposition happens and something comes up that you didn't know about, and we have to now do 20 new depositions, or there's a new component of litigation that we didn't understand in other areas of discovery. Yes, you have to have a handshake agreement with the client that if scope changes, the caps can change. The risk assessment can change. Clients understand that. Lawyers and law firms have to be willing to understand that it's okay to go back to your client and say, hey, this came up. We need to talk about this. Oh, and by the way, I know I quoted you $50,000 as an example for this work, but now with this new component that came in, that I want to talk about this because this is going to add three weeks worth of time. I still want to keep it a fixed fee, but guess what? This would normally cost us now 75000 but we're going to ask you to do it for 60000 but I want to go through the scope with you. That has to be absolutely part of, of what the matter should be about. The reason why I love the question and the reason why, I, as you can tell, I get excited about these types of questions is because being in a law firm and working on a client, quote unquote, service business means that we and the client have to both be working on the matter together. We both have to be looking at the risk simultaneously. We both have to talk about the issues. If we're just a law firm that just throws bodies on something and doesn't speak to our client, then at the end, when the client gets the bill, they're upset. You know what? Shame on us. Because as an ex-client, I used to get very frustrated with that. Well, I know you said it was going to cost 80000 but you know what? All these things came up over the last three months. We had to add six new associates, and we had to get six new experts. So by the way, the experts each cost 25000 So now it's 300000 My response was always like, well, why didn't you call us? Why wasn't there a discussion about this? And then I would say, you're getting 80. And that's how I handled it as a client. So on the law firm side, if our clients push back because we're not proactively engaging that discussion, but running up the bill on a fixed fee or even on a non-fixed fee type of arrangement, regardless of what the AFA may be, that's our problem. We must be 
the ones leading and pushing for ongoing dialogue with our client because they're expecting us to if something changes. That has to be part of the conversation. You know what else that does too, going back to my statement earlier on the business of law, by having us focus on pricing and by having people on my team focus on technology or something specific operational to a client, it helps us know what the work is we're doing on the practice of law on the law firm side with our client so we can go back to our lawyers and ask specific questions and keep them informed of what we're doing. So therefore, we're usually aware of what's happening on a case, and we can ask those questions of our lawyers and ask them to go back and talk through this with the client. And what our lawyers are doing now is our lawyers are calling me and other people on my pricing and project management team, and they're saying, hey, look, we, we agreed to X dollars for this matter, but all of these new things came up. What do you recommend? And we would say, let's get on the phone with the client and go through it. So it really is an internal handoff and an internal dialogue that we have at Goodwin between the business and practice of law because we're both involved in the risk of the client differently, but both involved. So we're constantly communicating and reminding our lawyers to go back to the client if they haven't yet to have those conversations. And now a word from our episode sponsor. For 10 years, Eastet has helped clients save money by streamlining e-discovery and document review processes. See why AM100 firms, Fortune 500 companies, and boutique firms love Eastet's simple pricing and customer service-centered approach on matters from IP to class actions to internal investigations. See more at e-stet.com. So let me ask when you're bidding on a new client, so not new business at a current client, but a new client, when you're talking about your project management process, your pricing process, your relationships with legal service providers, what is resonating with those clients? Is it the whole package? Is it the entire approach? Or is there one approach of those few that I mentioned, or of course, another one that is really resonating as the differentiator around Goodwin? As you can imagine, every law firm sits down with their clients today and says that we do AFAs, and every law firm says we really care about pricing. It's important to us. From a client's perspective, Nicole, it's about who are the most credible, who has the right experience, how are you pitching the business, and building a level of trust. Trust is such an important part of the new client experience within business development. And then following up on everything you said in that meeting, is even more important. So when we go to a new client, we understand that that first pitch or that first discussion usually on average takes about 12 touches, 10 to 12 touches before we get any business. So we will talk about pricing. We'll do it with people like me that come from the corporate side. We'll offer our operational and business of law services. Obviously, we do that for free. We will then follow up with chief operating officers to meet with them on something specific. My team will run that. We will make sure that we research and continue to stay on top of the client's business and send them articles, whether it's on them, their competition, or their industry. We will offer to do services for free. We will make the appropriate investments to get that first matter. We constantly want to build trust. We want to stay involved with them. And so we're not just waiting for the call. And that takes time. And I'm not saying it always works. What does always come out is that clients are telling us today that Goodwin is doing things differently. You're pitching business differently and you're pitching business in a way that we're interested. We're intrigued. We've had a lot of clients that would say, hey, you know what? I want to use you the next time something comes up that's small. I haven't used you in the past. We'll wait two, three, four, five, six months and then we'll call them back to remind them. They'll say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I haven't gotten back to you yet, but thanks for the reminder. 
You have to proactively stay in touch with your clients on both the business of law and the practice of law. And the lawyers have to be comfortable with people on the business of law side, like myself, managing that relationship in the areas that I'm the subject matter expert in, because usually I can manage the relationship operationally because there may not be something yet for the lawyers to work on, but the client is getting excited because we're helping them, not charging them to do things operationally and technically. So we're staying insight in mind. And that is a huge differentiator. And to be honest with you, I don't think a lot of law firms are doing that, if any. I think law firms really today are not yet focused on how the business of law and the professional staff can help really, really help drive revenue and really, really help drive that relationship through the business development process. And a good win, probably the reason why we're talking today, our lawyers get it. Our lawyers want to do that. And it's a process. I'm not saying everybody's there, but I would say 75 to 80% of our lawyers are doing it more and more and doing it on a weekly basis. And that's a key differentiator for us. No, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting, we are hearing from our guests, so our in-house guests, and we recently had Alan Bryan from Walmart on, and he talked about patience. He says, you know, we, we want to work with a variety of law firms and our firms that are coming to us and pitching for our business you know, we will try out those that meet the criteria, but you have to be patient. And that requires though, Mike, to your point, you have to have frequent touches. You have to remind them you're there. You have to remind them why you're different. Plus this idea that as a business professional, you can sell for others. And I think, you know, you can sell for the partners. And we've actually had a few partners come on and say, I wish there was someone who would do the business development for me. Business development professionals in the legal space, they can do it. I know some of the partners at Goodwin, I work in private equity when I'm not doing left foot. And I've seen them out in the market. And I've seen them in situations where they are building relationships. In your role as leading the business development effort, the growth effort at Goodwin, what is the advice that you're giving them about building relationships and creating the environment that you've created for yourself in business development, which is I help the people I know in the industry and they then help me through referrals and opportunities that your matters your firm can work on. What is your advice to the partners within Goodwin that are saying, I really want to sell more. I want to be more in control of my career by being a a rainmaker, being a business developer. What do I need to do? What is your advice to them? So it's interesting you bring up private equity. I will say this at Goodwin. Private equity is one of our top revenue producing business units and practice areas. And we have a ton of really strong rainmaking partners in private equity at Goodwin across all 10 offices. So private equity, we seem to be doing pretty well. It's an area that Goodwin is well known for. Same, same on the tech side, same on the real estate side, same on the patent side. What we've been able to really do on the private equity side, for example, is we've hired partners and or lawyers that are brought through the partner ranks and trained accordingly with partners that are rainmakers and know how to really build relationships and are also really good at what they do. They're very good lawyers and they help with our clients achieve lots of different things within their business, which makes them long-term. The difference between corporate and litigation is corporate, corporate clients have lawyers, like they have specific lawyers that they use where our lawyers call them their clients. Litigation, it's on a matter by matter basis and a specific subject matter expertise. It's a different dynamic in the business development process. Now, back, back to your question. The one thing that people forget that is very important to understand in business development 
specifically in selling legal services, is like anything else, it's a skill and not everybody's going to be good at it. And you can have people that are great lawyers and phenomenal at what they can do in terms of their practice and subject matter expertise and knowledge and the ability to write phenomenal briefs and summaries, but just may not be good at business development. And it's up to each of us to understand that there's value there as well, tremendous value. And we need those people for the firm to be successful. It's an ecosystem, right? So, but the, there are those lawyers that you see that have the potential and have the skill that, can, that either comes naturally or can be taught in how to really manage and build client relationships to help drive business. And those are the lawyers that you need to have go to pitches. You need to have them understand the business of law. You need to have them work with the folks in the organization on diversity and inclusion and pro bono and risk investment and professional development and training and all of the things we do that help our lawyers grow, but that what clients are looking for and get them in front of clients and plan for appropriate succession planning and be transparent with our clients in terms of how we're staffing, what our leverage models are. The more transparent we could be, the more open and upfront we can be with our clients, the more trust is developed between both groups. And certain lawyers are just really good at that. And certain lawyers aren't good at that. And it doesn't mean that they're not good lawyers. They're just not good at selling. They're not good at the business development side, but they're excellent at, at execution and excellent at the work. So what we have to do in, in big law firms is we have to pick who those people are. And sometimes it takes some time and sometimes it changes. Sometimes you have people that were really good rainmakers two or three years ago because the business was re really hot. And then right now that business has changed and it's not hot anymore. And it's something that corporate clients may be doing more internally. And it doesn't mean they're not good lawyers, but guess what? Their $10 million practice may now be a $2 million practice. So we have to understand strategically what does that mean for the firm? And then how do we bring up the right associates and junior partners under them? Because it's not as big a business as it used to be. So how can we hedge that success? Because it may come back later on. So again, not everyone's good at sales. Not everyone's good at business development. It's a skill set. It's like project management. It's like any other thing you have to learn and or comes natural, but we have to identify who those people are and capitalize on them appropriately. In some of the coursework we've developed for Leftfoot, we talk about the fact that 10% of people are just never going to do business development. 20% it comes more naturally and the other 70% are the neutral group that with a process, with some effort, with a really defined way of going about it, they, they can make some gains. Let's say it that way. When we put that out there, we talk about spending time on it, spending, whether it's 20 minutes a day, two hours a week, some effort looking at how you're going to grow your business, how you're going to maintain those clients and gain additional matters with those clients. I had a question in our prepared questions on negotiation. And one of the things we hear a lot from firms is that the lawyers are not great negotiators, which to people not involved in the industry, they, they're like, what? What does that mean? And I personally reflect on that and say, it has to do with the fact that negotiation, there's not an exact answer. And sometimes that doesn't play well for the people that are at the table. In your opinion, on the business development side, on the negotiation side, what are the challenges that you're able to say, yes, I've identified that as a challenge, that that neutral person who could be good at business development, that that person is going to need to get through? You know, what is that challenge? Is it just lack of time, lack of desire, lack of comfort, doesn't know what to do? What What is the challenge that is really in the way of these partners that want to grow their business? I think, first of all, it depends on the business that they're in. I think they have to understand what the competition is. Look, Nicole, at the end of the day, demand for the M-Law 100 is zero, right? The demand growth is 
the demand growth for litigation services is negative today. Demand is a, is a huge component, a huge metric that we're focused on. They have to find a way to take that demand because it's not growing. They have to take it from other law firms, other relationships. They have to find ways to differentiate themselves. The best thing you can do as a lawyer today, if you're very focused on, build, on business development and very focused on your, an industry that you are practicing within and have a subject matter expertise, is know who the clients are, know what law firms they use, and make investments. Find ways to get in the door. It's not just about taking someone to coffee. It's not about lunch. It's not about dinner. Most corporate clients, to be honest with you, they don't want to go to dinner anymore. They want to go home. Because I remember when I was on the corporate side, you know, I don't want to go out to dinner with six lawyers at a law firm on the one free night I have. I want to do that with law firms that I have relationships with or a law firm that has said something to me that's unique and I want to get to know them. Lawyers today have to know their business. They have to know their competition. They have to understand the benchmarking. They have to know the data. You know, you have to know who your competition is. You have to read American Lawyer. You have to know what, if, if you, for example, are going to be a private equity attorney, know which law firms you want to go to. Do you want to be a corporate lawyer in a private equity business that has $150 million in fees or a law firm that has a very small boutique private equity, 10 to $20 million in fees, and it's not their core group? Know where you want to sit. Sometimes that makes sense because you want to grow a business from within a firm. You want to be given that opportunity, but it's not easy because you're trying to take business away from those law firms where private equity is a core competence. It's what they do. And the reason why knowing COOs is so helpful, there's multiple reasons, but one of the key reasons is when I reach out to people that I know as COOs, whether they're clients or not clients, I ask who are the law firms that are on your preferred panel that you use for these specific areas that we're really good at. And get, by the way, I don't want to be everything to all clients. You know what? You, you want someone that's a really good law firm in environmental or railroads? Guess what? That's not good one. You're a tech company and you do M&A or you're a, a private equity firm that sets up funds or you're looking for VC money. Guess what? That's us. So I want to know what firms you're using. Am I competing with the firms that I normally compete with? So, cause I'll know what their pricing model is. I'll know how they staff. I know what they charge for. And then we could build a pitch where we could, without saying the firm, we could try to steal some of that demand by getting the meeting because we'll then throw in the business of law piece that I know those firms aren't doing. And I'll have the COO behind the scenes, who's a relationship, get the lawyers on their side prepped for what we're going to do. That's differentiating. That's the relationship side of it. But if you're a lawyer, you have to know your business and you have to know where you are. Like if you're a litigator today, you just have to understand if you're a litigator working in financial institutions and you're with a big firm, you have to understand it's not like it was in 2007 and 2008. You have corporate clients hiring more lawyers internally. They're settling earlier. They're doing RFPs. They're asking for big discounts. Everybody's fighting for that business. It's hard to gain some of that demand. So you got to find ways to give things away, to invest, to get in without just saying, give me business because I'm a good lawyer. Lawyers today have to think out of the box and say, how can I learn more about my clients and about my industry? And how can I utilize that along with something that's differentiating to get that at, to get that meeting? That is just only one step because it takes time. Mike, I'm a big believer that this is a day in and day out activity. You've got to stay current on the industry in which you're focused on. You have to stay current on your clients, you know, have those alerts, understand what's going on in their business. 
that there needs to be that regular knowledge gaining of each of your clients and prospective clients. To your point, the ones that you want to acquire, you should know as much about them or even more besides the specifics on the legal matters. A lot of great information there. Really have enjoyed our time together. Information packed interview. We appreciate you sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? First of all, Nicole, I just want to say thank you to you. I love speaking about this topic. I think the business of law and the practice of law is an area that both law firms and corporate legal departments need to spend more time discussing. And I think it's important that we, we're open to share information across law firms in terms of what we're doing well and where, where we can improve. Because as much as you want to have revenue generating opportunities with your clients, you want to have relationships with your peers. You want to have relationships with your competition because we can really learn from each other in ways to better service our clients and be better at what we do, both on the business of law and the practice of law side. Again, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Terrific interview, Mike. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.